All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm chapter 13. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 541 in that Bible, Psalm 13. And we often talk about prayer a little bit as we kick off the year. We talk about prayer more than just then. But as we head into our week of prayer, we like to take a couple of Sundays to teach on prayer, just to kind of fire us up a little bit, maybe teach us some new things, get us ready as we head into prayer together. And so last week we did a sermon called Praying by the Book, and we talked about praying scripture finding the prayers of Scripture and also praying out of Scripture. And so we're continuing as we talk about prayer today. I'm going to show you a short clip as we get going, and it is from the movie Liar Liar, Jim Carrey classic. Uh, a good chunk of that movie is not Sunday morning appropriate, but this scene is all right. And if you never saw the movie, uh, Jim Carrey plays a character who lies about everything. He's a lawyer by trade, and he lies to his wife, he lies to his kid, he lies to his boss, he lies to his clients, He's, he just can't do anything but lie. And then in a little bit of mid-90s movie magic, uh, his son makes a wish on his birthday that his dad uh, for one day would only be able to tell the truth, and hijinks ensue, as you would expect. And so in the scene we're seeing, uh, he's well into this day. He can only tell the truth. He can't lie, exaggerate in any way whatsoever. All he can do is be brutally honest. Uh, he's on his way to a meeting, and he's late, and we'll take a look. Uh, it's an interesting premise for a movie, right? What would happen if you could only be brutally honest all the time? And I mean, there are there is an essence of being in relationship and being in society where we soften things and we're not brutally honest and that's a good thing. But as we move, as we talk about prayer today, my premise today is that prayer should be a place where we can be brutally honest before the Lord where we can feel that we don't have to hold things back, we don't have to pretty things up, we don't have to uh, put a bunch of religious language to things, but prayer can and should be the place where we just bear our souls before the Lord, where we just lay ourselves out there and we just take time to actually tell him what we're actually thinking, what we're actually feeling, and in prayer we can actually have that safe spot with the Lord where we can actually do that. The Bible says in Psalm 44:21 that God knows the secret of the heart. And so as we talk about prayer today, it is with that understanding that God already knows everything that's going on inside me anyway. And so it doesn't help anything if when I come to the place of prayer, I feel like I need to sugarcoat things or I need to deny what I'm feeling or I need to, uh, to pretty things up or anything like that. As you go through the book of Psalms, uh, there is a lot of fairly brutal honesty going on in how people are praying to God. And as we talked about last week, the book of Psalms is there in the Bible in part to show us how to pray, to say this is what prayer looks like. And so we're going to look at one of those very honest Psalms today and take a look at uh, what it can teach us about prayer because uh, what we're going to keep coming back to this morning is that God really is a safe place where we can be honest where we can lay our hearts out there uh, we can just show him what's in there because he already knows anyway and so we can have that safe spot with him so let's take a look at Psalm chapter 13 and it's page 541 in the pew Bible and we're starting in verse 1 this is a psalm written by King David how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. 
My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. So there's a bit of a mixed bag in there, right? There's, there's despair, and there is frustration, but there's also hope, and there's also worship. And it's a really good picture of what we're talking about today, of what heartfelt prayer can look like. And so King David wrote this psalm, and we don't know when he wrote it. But what we know about King David from the scriptures is that he did not have a very easy life. Uh, he was a shepherd. He was kind of minding his own business. One day, a prophet shows up and says, you're going to be the next king. Not yet, but you are going to be the next king. And David goes, he faces Goliath, and he slays a giant. He enters the services of King Saul, and Saul gets just insanely jealous and tries to kill him. And so David is on the run. David is running for his life for years as Saul tries to wipe him out. Saul is eventually killed in battle. David becomes the new king. And as he's the new king, he is a pretty good king. He loves the Lord. He follows after the ways of the Lord, but he's not perfect. He is a sinner like all of us are. He struggles with his sin. He makes some really bad choices. He reaps the consequences of his sins. One of his sons rebels against him. Yet again, David has to run for his life. Uh, and there's just, there's violence around him all the time. And there are, are struggles all the time. And there's warfare all the time. And, and he's doing his best to seek the Lord and he's called the man after God's own heart. And, and out of his life, he writes these worship songs. Many of them show up in the Psalms about his experiences. So we don't know exactly when this particular Psalm we just read is written, but uh, most scholars that I came across think that it was probably written either when he was on the run from King Saul or when he was on the run from his son who was trying to kill him and take over the throne. Uh, and it kind of sounds like that, right? When we're talking about enemies who are triumphing. And so we don't know for sure. That's just speculation, but uh, that could be the context of how, uh, of where David wrote this particular Psalm. And again, there is a lot of up in this psalm. There's a lot of down in the psalm. He is, he is moving through the emotions of the heart. And we are talking about today, when we pray from the heart, what, are, what does that actually mean? And so praying by the heart, I don't mean uh, praying by memorization. Often when we say we've learned something by heart, we mean we've memorized it. That's not what I mean. But I'm talking about that transparent place where whatever is going on in our heart, good or bad, we are comfortable to present that to the Lord, trusting that he is the one who can fix it. So when we talk about praying by the heart, this is what we mean. First of all, we're talking about praying with authentic, transparent honesty. Some of us have a very real instinct to sort of Christianize things that we say, and by that I mean we have phrases and things that we pile up, and, and we feel a need sometimes to sugarcoat things, and, and I think there is a, a very reasonable fear when it comes to prayer of, I don't want to offend the Lord, right? I don't want, you know, I don't want a lightning bolt to come down and smack into me. I don't want to cross the line. I don't want to treat him with irreverence, and so in the name of that, sometimes we don't tell God how we really feel, or are we we pretty it up. We cover up the, the feelings. We pretty up the language. We add some religious things to it. And prayer ends up being something that is not overly meaningful and not overly powerful. So when we talk about praying by the heart, we're talking about praying with authentic, transparent honesty. Some of us are actually pretty good at that. Some of us, it's an area that we need to grow. But when David starts off in verse 1, his cry is, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And those two words, how long, might be the most universal prayers of all time, right? We're all maybe saying that about something. How long, Lord, until the situation changes? How long until my kids come back to serve you? How long until my healing happens? How long until things get better? How long must I struggle? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
And this is interesting to note about the Psalms, because we know from elsewhere in Scripture, God doesn't actually forget. God can't forget anything. He's God. And God doesn't actually hide his face, that God is with us always, and he is always near. He's closer than the breath in our bodies. God is always with us. So the Psalms don't always necessarily teach us something about God, but they always teach us something. And in this case, they are teaching us something actually about ourselves, that as we live out this life, this is what it can feel like sometimes. This is what the Christian life could feel like. And so David, out of his heartache, cries out, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? God saw fit to put that in the scripture, in part to teach us how to pray. And I think it's probably there because God said, You know what? There's going to be seasons in life that feel like this, and my people need to know it's okay to pray this way. It's okay to say, God, I feel forgotten here. God, how long will you hide your face? Like, when, when will I get to sense your presence again? When will I get to see your favor again? When is that going to change? And so there's this just very real, authentic expression, and it is so liberating. It is so freeing to pray that way. Because the feelings that are going on in my heart, for good or bad, not every feeling in there is good, but I'm feeling what I'm feeling, right? What, whatever that is, it's real. And so there is nothing gained by me covering it up, pretending it's not there, uh, praying, you know, nice, pretty church prayers because that's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. David is just getting real. God, I feel forgotten. I feel abandoned. And there's something so liberating in just being able to talk to God that way, knowing that it's a safe spot, getting that stuff off your chest, and just being honest, because again, he knows what's going on in the heart anyway. He knows that it's in there. So there's no, nothing gained by covering it up, and it's incredibly freeing to get it off your chest, just like that. There is something in uh, the Catholic practice of confession that is so fascinating to me. And, and we would disagree with the Catholic Church uh, on lots of things, but in, in terms of confession, there's something in the practice of how they do confession that we can actually learn a lot from because their whole idea is you go regularly to somebody that you trust and you say, this is what I'm struggling with. And it keeps you humble, first of all, right? Because it's hard to get proud when you're constantly acknowledging your sin. But the Bible says we are to confess our sins to one another. And most of us do not do that very well. And so to go to somebody else and say, I confess I've sinned in this way is going to keep us humble. But it's also just liberating. It is liberating for somebody else you trust to know and for someone else to come into it with you and for someone else to be praying for you. And so we certainly would disagree that, you know, when that happens, you can say, you know, five Our Fathers and ten Hail Marys, and you have to prove your sorrow to God. And uh, we would disagree that the priest can absolve you of sins. God is the only one who can do that, we would say. But there's something in the practice of confession that is incredibly uh, powerful and incredibly freeing that we can learn something from. And prayer can be that as well, that there is something so liberating at just being honest. And if there's bitterness in there saying, God, I'm bitter. And if there's disappointment in there, saying, God, I'm disappointed. And if there's frustration in there, saying, God, I am frustrated. And David models that for us so well. Verse 2, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Again, there's that phrase, how long? How long am I going to be in this place? How long is this trial going to last? How long do I have to keep struggling? And these are, you know, hopefully maybe a little bit relatable to us. Anyone wrestle with their thoughts ever? How long do I have to struggle there? How long? Like day after day, I just feel sad. How long is, is that going to last? 
how long will my enemy triumph over me? And maybe not in a warfare sense, like David is probably meaning, but how long will that person in my life, like how long is this situation going to keep going on? How long? Lord, it's, it's just an honest question. How much longer do I have to go through this? And there's nothing in it. David's not covering it up. He's not saying, well, praise the Lord. Everything's wonderful. How was your week? It was fantastic. I'm crying every day, but it's great. It's great. Praise the Lord. Like he's just laying it all out there. And it's just being honest again to the God who already knows what's going on in there anyway. If you're feeling sorrow in your heart day after day, like what does it help to go to God and say, everything's wonderful, right? But to say, this is just real and you know it already, but for, for my sake, it's important to be honest before you. It's important to acknowledge that. I come, as you know, from a Pentecostal charismatic background, and part of that uh, is called the Word Faith Movement, and we weren't really a part of that as much. But uh, the Word Faith Movement is very positive, very optimistic, and there's lots of elements of it in the church today. And the essence of it is uh, you confess with your mouth the word of the Lord, and God will do it, and, and that's it. So it's a, it's a bit simplistic, uh, and it doesn't have a lot of room for suffering like the Bible does. But once I came up to the altar for prayer in a Pentecostal church, and there was a, a lady who believed in this very much, and she was praying that day, and uh, she said, how can we pray? And I said, oh, I'm just sick. I just feel really sick. Can you just pray for me? I, I just, uh, yeah, just want to see Jesus touch my body, and, uh, and she went, you're not sick. Don't confess that over yourself. You're healed in Jesus' name. You're healthy in Jesus' name. And it was like, I, I, yeah, in faith, I trust that God's going to do that, but I am actually sick. Like, I'm not, I'm not making that up. Like, I do feel, I can feel it in my body. I, I know it's in there. My head is clogged up. My nose is running. You can see it. I'm sick. That's just the facts. It's just being honest. And so I, I get where she was coming from. She's coming from the place of faith. And, and, you know, we should never be bothered when someone's coming from the place of faith. But we don't want to be people of denial as Christians. And, and even though we are people of faith, uh, it is okay to be honest with where we are at. Now, we don't want to say, here's where I'm at. It's never going to get better. I'm going to be stuck here forever. Like, that is moving into lack of faith. But it's not a lack of faith just to be honest about where we are at today. The Psalms are full of this. I could give you hundreds of examples, and I'm going to. No, just kidding. We're going to do a couple. But it's all through the Psalms. It is everywhere. Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Like anything relatable in that? Just that feeling of, God, where are you? Why are you so far away? You feel so far away. Where is your salvation? Why are you not intervening? God, I'm praying and praying and praying, but you're not answering. Right? Like that's honesty. That's just honesty. And, and one that we can probably relate to. Psalm 55, 5 and 7. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. Do you ever feel that way? Like, oh, I just want to get out of here. Right? God, I just want to bail. I just want to leave. I just want to remove myself from this situation. God, I just, it's just honest. I wish I didn't have to be here. That is an honest prayer. One more, Psalm 3-7. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. That's nice, right? Jesus, could you just kick their teeth in for me, please? I'm a pacifist, but if you could punch them in the face, that would just be great. That would be awesome. 
And again, just because it's in the Psalms does not necessarily mean that this is something we should aspire to, right? Because this would seem to pretty strongly contradict both Testaments in the sense of we are to, to love people, we're to love our enemies, even Jesus said. And so it's not saying this is the standard that we should get up to. Uh, it's saying that this is the way to pray that is honest. And maybe you've never prayed that vividly, but if you've ever prayed in frustra frustration, just God, would you just deal with that person, right? Would you just deal with them? However that looks. Like, can you just do that? Can you just deal with that per person who's a problem in my life? It's just an honest prayer. And it's not saying that God's going, oh, you want me to kick their teeth in? All right. It's not saying he's going to answer it. But this is an honest prayer. And again, if you're frustrated with someone, tell God that you're frustrated. If you're fed up, tell God that you're fed up. God is that safe place where you are able to do that. And so there is a verse in Romans that I love talking about Abraham. And Abraham was an old man without children, and, and they wanted children. Him and his wife were praying for children. And at 75 years old, God appears to Abraham and says, you will have a son. And Abraham then has to wait 25 more years after the promise is given. He's already 75. He has to wait 25 more years until the promise is fulfilled. How long, Lord, right? How long? Like, I could drop dead any second, like literally any second. How long am I going to have to wait for this promise to be fulfilled? And so Abraham's this great example for us of faith and of patience. But Romans is talking about Abraham's heart in all of this. And Romans 4.19 says that Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. So the promise comes, Abraham, you're going to have a baby. Abraham faced the fact. And those three words are so important. We don't always do that very well as Christians. Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He wasn't saying, hey, this is totally normal. We should be able to have a baby at this point. He wasn't you know, trying to rev himself up and pretend that reality wasn't what it was. He's honest. He faced the fact. As Christians, we need to be able to face our facts. And it's not a lack of faith to, to do that. And so it wasn't a lack of faith for Abraham to say, you know, by our own bodies, this is probably impossible. But the verse goes on. It says, after Abraham faced facts, he was honest and acknowledged the reality of his situation. It says that Abraham did not weaken in his faith as it related to the promise of God, but he gave glory to God. He was strengthened in his faith, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. So he faced his facts, and then he moved into faith. And, and I don't understand it. My body is as good as dead. That's just honest. That's just the reality. But I trust that God has the power to do what he had promised. Now, if he had just said, well, I'm old, so it's impossible, and that's it, that would be lack of faith. That would be a bit more problematic. But he was honest about where he was at, and then he moved on from there into faith, which we will get back to in a second. So in prayer, God is the safe place where we can face our facts, where we can just be honest about whatever's going on in our heart, and we can go to him and, and just be real. Now, we want to be real without being irreverent, right? Because he's still God, and we will come back to that in a minute. As we move on from being honest, David moves into some sincere asking. What I mean by sincere asking is just, uh, out of the heart, what do you want to see God do in this scenario? Not praying the way you think you should pray, not praying the way, uh, you know, a prayer of just kind of repetition or whatever, but just sincerely talking to God about here is where I am at, this is me facing my facts, this is me being honest, 
And Lord, this is where I, I would like to see you move in my life. Sometimes in, in settings, I don't do it here usually on Sundays, but, um, but I'll lead a congregation in the Lord's Prayer. If I'm praying at a, a chapel service or at a funeral or something, we often close with the Lord's Prayer. It's a nice way to close, and, and most people know it. And when I start, uh, you know, I pray it, I try to pray it with some passion because it's a prayer. Um, but if you're doing it with a group, everyone just kind of settles into the repetitive rhythm of the way we've always said it. So I'll say, Lord, and now we are going to pray as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father. And then everyone jumps in. There's just this rumble. And there's a very predictable rhythm to it, which is the way we all learned it when we were kids, for those of us who learned it. And I always kind of feel like, oh, are, are people actually praying this, or are we just saying the words in the rhythm, in the repetition that we always did? Uh, and I'm sure some are praying it for sure. But I'm talking about, when I say sincere asking, just what is in your heart to see God do? And it's not a guarantee that he will do it necessarily, but what is actually in your heart? Right? David says, you know, if you could kick their teeth in, that would be great. And it's not that God's going to do that, but hey, that's what's in there. For better or for worse, that's what's in there. And David felt safe enough with God to let it out. And so sincerely asking for what we want to see the Lord do. Verse 3a, look on me and answer, Lord my God. And already faith is starting to rise up in David. David, who's just been saying, how long, how long, how long, how long will I carry this sorrow? How long will my enemies win? How long do I have to be here? How long will you hide your face from me? And then faith starts to rise up. In the midst of the how long, he moves to look and answer, Lord my God. Right? I'm, I'm now talking to the one who can actually change the situation. Right? I don't want to just be someone who talks about what's wrong all the time. Because if I do that, I'm just a whiner. Right? If all I'm doing is just talking about what I didn't get or, or how it's not good for me or what I'm disappointed by, like I can do that. That's not bad. But if that's all I do, then I'm just a whiner. Then I'm just a cynic. And cynicism doesn't help us. It doesn't lead us to anything good. And some of us, if all we do is the honesty thing, we're just treating God like customer service. And we're just complaining about what it is that he didn't do. And again, we want to be real with God without losing our reverence for God. And so we are able to be honest with God. We are able to be brutally honest with God, obviously from the Psalms, but we don't want to just stay there. And so David moves from the brutal honesty into prayer because he knows that as he's crying out how long, he's actually talking to the one who can answer that question. He's actually talking to the one who can intervene in the situation. And so he begins to move into prayer. And again, there's lots of examples in the Psalms. Here's just a few. Psalm 418, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. You alone, Lord, you are the reason I am safe. It's not the house I built. It's not my ability to defend myself. You alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 16:5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Not my own efforts and industry and hard work. I mean, we, we can bring those things to the table, but ultimately it is the blessing of God that is putting food on my table. It's the blessing of God that is letting me feed my family. God is the one who makes me secure. It is all him. You alone. 
the psalmist says. Psalm 86.10, For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. And, and again, over and over and over again, this repetition of God, you alone are the one. You alone keep me safe. You alone provide for me. You alone can heal my body. You alone forgive my sins. You alone can do this. And when I move into prayer, I'm acknowledging that, that he alone is the one. That I'm not getting out of this miry clay by myself. I waited patiently for the Lord, and then he lifted me out of the miry clay. That I need him to do it. I need his help. And it all comes back to what we talked about last week, that when we pray to God, we are praying to the faithful God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we call upon him for his faithfulness. We are asking the only one who can help. David goes on in verse 3 and 4, Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. So give light to my eyes. He's saying, uh, let my eyes remain full of the light of life. He's saying, keep me alive, basically. And so he's, again, he's probably on the run. People are trying to kill him. People are, the enemy is chasing him down. So give light to my eyes. Lord, keep me alive. If you don't keep me alive, I will sleep in death. If you don't help me, my enemy will overcome me. If you don't help me, my foes will rejoice when I fall. And David, I mean, David's a warrior. He knows how to fight. He took down a giant. Like, he knows what he's doing. But he's acknowledging that all of my skills, everything I have, are not going to be enough, God, if you are not on my side here. And, and there's something so humbling about this, and again, just liberating about this. And you sometimes hear teachers and theologians talk about when we get to that place where we come to the end of ourselves. When we come to the end of ourselves. And what that means is, we all, we can't help it, we all lean on our strengths, we lean on our gifts. That's not a bad thing. These things come from God. But we tend to go through life leaning on our strengths, leaning on our gifts, leaning on what we're good at, leaning on what we're comfortable with, and we, we do the best we can to navigate life doing all of those things. But then things happen in our lives, and everyone will face this at various points, where all of a sudden our gifts, our strengths, what we have, aren't going to get the job done. We find ourselves facing things that are just so much bigger, and we realize, oh, our, our charisma, our people skills, our money, our hard work, our diligence, our wisdom, our creativity, it's actually not going to be enough to solve this problem. What I bring to the table isn't going to do it. And we go, wow, well, we, we can't heal our own bodies, and we can't always fix our own marriages by ourselves, and we can't overcome our own sins, and we can't make our kids walk with the Lord or, or make our kids come back to the Lord, and we just re we come to the end of ourselves. Wow, I, I actually can't do it. That's where David's at here. Lord, if you don't protect me, I'm done. I have come to the end of myself. My skills and my talents and my gifts are not going to be enough to save me. Lord, I need you to do it. And it's an incredibly humbling place to be. It's an incredibly difficult place to be. But oh my goodness, is it ever freeing to be able to say, Lord, I need you and you alone. I cannot do this on my own. And you call out to the only one who is able to save you, the only one who is able to fix this. There is something so beautiful about it at the same time, where again, God is that safe place. We rest under the shadow of his wings. We come into that safe place where we can be honest with him, where we know he wants good for us, where we know he is on our side, and we know that he is with us always, and we are protected and covered by his love and by his grace. 
And so in heartfelt prayer, we are authentically transparent and honest. We are asking sincerely. And then David moves into honor and hope, honoring the Lord, and, and hope begins to rise up. Again, in our honesty with God, we don't want to lose our reverence for God. We don't want to ever forget that he is God and we are the creation, right? And so uh, we can ask tough questions. We can be transparent before him. But there is a line we don't want to cross where we are uh, dishonoring him or, or criticizing or cursing him. And so there is a line there. And so David walks in honor and we see hope start to rise up as well as we come to the end. Verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And that phrase is fascinating when you read it all together because at the first start of this passage, uh, David doesn't seem to feel God's unfailing love, right? He's not really seeing God's salvation. That's the problem. He's saying, Lord, how long until I get to see your salvation? How long are my enemies going to keep chasing after me? How long until you turn your face back upon me again? How long until I can be in your presence? How long until I see you? But at the end, he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. We see hope fighting back against the how long. Because David isn't saying, hey, I feel your love all the time. And he isn't saying, I see the evidence of your salvation all the time. It's, it's the opposite. He's saying, how long until those things come? But even in the heart's cry of how long, he's saying, God, I still trust you. And my heart rejoices in your salvation. Not that I see your salvation right now. My heart is rejoicing in the salvation that is coming. My heart is rejoicing in the salvation that I know is on its way. My heart is rejoicing. I am thanking you in advance for what I know you're going to do, even if I don't see it right now. I trust in your unfailing love. I know your love isn't failing me. I don't feel your love right now, but I know it's there, and I know it's real. I don't see your salvation right now, but I know your salvation is coming, and so I am going to rejoice in what you are going to do in my situation. I'm rejoicing in the salvation that I know is on its way. And you know what? In David's life, it was on its way. The salvation of the Lord did show up over and over and over again. And it is the feeling of putting your hands in, putting your life in the hands of a father who is actually good, who does actually love us. Just the trust that I don't know what's going to happen on any given day. I don't know maybe how the scenario is going to play out, but I know God has got me either way. I know I am in good hands. I will trust in your unfailing love. You remember the story of Job in the Old Testament, and, uh, and if you don't know the story, Job was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was blessed by God abundantly, and a series of calamities hit his life all at once. All of his children are killed one day in a terrible accident, and he, is, uh, he loses all of his wealth in one day to, to robbers, and uh, and then his health fails him, and he's sick, and his wife comes to encourage him, but she's not very encouraging. She's actually pretty terrible, and his friends come to encourage him, and they're not really encouraging. They're pretty terrible, and so Job finds himself at the end of himself, right? Everything that he has, has built is gone. Everything that is good is gone. Everything that brought him joy is gone, and, and he's lying in, in the side of the road, uh, sick, grieving his children, with, with nothing to, to eat and just broken, just a broken man. And Job cries out to God for, for many chapters. The, the whole book of Job is, is 
prayers, basically. And Job cries out to God and asks tough questions, like honest, brutal questions. And he's wrestling with the questions that we all wrestle with, of, of why do bad things happen to good people? And, and how can evil afflict the righteous? And God, where are you when things fall apart? And he's, he's asking all of these questions. And, and yet, as he's laying out his heart and, and some of his stuff, again, it's just the, it's, it's a man who's lost everything. And, and the honesty is, is just laid out before the Lord because you can do that with God. And yet it says in the book that Job did not sin in what he said. And so that suggests that it is also possible to sin when we're in that place. And so we want to be real with God without losing our reverence, and that's something that Job was able to navigate, that he was, God, I don't understand. God, I don't know where you are. God, I don't get why this happened to me. God, why aren't you showing up? And yet in there, he'll say, but still I know that my Redeemer lives. In the end, I will see him on the earth. Hope rises up, even in the midst of everything. And so we don't want to ever lose our, our remembrance. And Job kept that so clearly that, that he wasn't uh, maybe happy with God. He was confused by God. He was frustrated. He was angry. And yet uh, he was not irreverent. He managed to keep that sense that God is still God, right? He is still glorious. He is still holy. And we don't want to ever cross that line because Job shows us that it is possible to, to navigate that together. And so David has been very honest about where he's at. I, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I carry this sorrow? How long, how long, how long? And, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. Verse 6, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And to be able to say that, that I will worship anyway because I know the Lord has been good to me. And there's something about remembering what God has done in the past that is so important. Because if you read through the book of Psalms, a lot of it is just remembering. It's Israel saying, hey, stuff sucks right now, but remember how God brought us out of the promised land. Remember how he hit Egypt with plagues on our behalf. Remember how he parted the Red Sea for us and brought us through. Remember how he sustained us in the promised land or in the wilderness. And remember how he brought us into the promised land. Remember how he got us there safe. I know God has been good to me. I might not feel the goodness today. I might not see the goodness today. But I will sing the Lord's praise because he has been good. He has been. And, and I trust that in retrospect, I will see the goodness of God even in whatever I'm going through right now. For the last couple of years, I have uh, been seeing a counselor. And it started off as something that we had to do for school. When I went back to school, they said, we want you all to be with a counselor. And part of it was so you could learn how to be a better counselor. And then part of it was just, just for our sake. We just want you to have someone to talk to. And so what kind of began as like, uh, all right, I'll do it for school. Like it was a bit of a, a mechanical thing. Uh, has ended up honestly being life-changing. And I have seen counselors at various seasons of my life over my life and my walk with Jesus. But um, as I've gone through different seasons, there's sometimes just times, again, you just come to the end of yourself. Sometimes you can't uh, fix things on your own. And, and there are the people here, I know we're in the same spot. And so we can't always uh, overcome our sin by ourselves. We can't always fix our marriage by ourselves. We can't always uh, navigate tough questions with God by ourselves. And so sometimes we need help. And so I've been very grateful for this help. And, and my counselor's an awesome guy. And so I, this was a little bit ago, uh, and I was talking to him about 
about just an area of my life that I was kind of frustrated with. And, and I, as with many of us, there are some areas of my life that are thriving uh, and some areas of my life not as much. And so this was one of the not as much ones. I was in a bad mood that day. Uh, and I was just saying, oh, this is just, this is frustrating and that's frustrating and I'm praying and it's not getting better and I don't know what to do and I've, I've done what I can. And, uh, and I really was expressing without realizing it, just that feeling I've, I've come to the end of myself. I, I don't know how to fix you know, this area. And he cut me off and said, all right, Chris, uh, think about the last year of your life. Uh, tell me something that you've seen God do, a prayer that he answered, or just tell me a way in which you've seen God's goodness, God's faithfulness. Uh, and honestly, I was in such a bad mood that day that it was kind of hard at first. And I went like, well, I mean, we're, we're, we're healthy. Kids are healthy. That's good. I'm thankful for that. And and, you know, school's gone well, and Sarah's schooling has gone really well, and, and you know, Sarah's going to be done soon, and, and we're excited about that. And, uh, and actually, you know what? Like, marriage is pretty good these days, and, and the kids are doing great, and they're, they're loving their activities, and, uh, and this happened at work, and that was a great day, and, uh, and actually, this thing happened at school, and that was awesome. Actually, this happened at Sarah's school, and that was awesome. And then I started, they just started kind of rolling out of me these stories of what God had done in different ways, just different things to be thankful for. And, and big stuff started to come out of, you know, we prayed for this one thing for a year. I didn't even think about it, but God answered that prayer in the last year. Well, we were praying for it came to pass I'm in tears as I'm sharing some of these stories and finally the counselor says Chris all right Chris sorry I got to cut you off you've been going for 40 minutes like time's up session's over and he said you know it took you a little bit to get going but then man it just started rolling out of you and I went right because I I don't know day to day that I would have maybe seen all of those things but when you actually look where has the Lord been good to me the stories start coming and even if it just starts off with, you know what, like I, I'm breathing, hey, I'm alive today. I ate today. I have a roof over my head today. I'll sing the Lord's praises for he has been good to me. David does not seem to be really sensing a lot of the Lord's goodness in the moment of the how long season, right? He's not saying my life is good right now. I'm seeing the favor of the Lord everywhere. But he's saying in the midst of the how long, I will sing the Lord's praises because he's been good to me. I will remember the goodness of God. I will remember the things he's done. I will remember the faithfulness of the Lord. Because when I do that, I also remember that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was faithful with his goodness then, he's probably going to be faithful with his goodness now and will probably probably be faithful with his goodness tomorrow because he doesn't ever change. And so we'll celebrate where we see the goodness of God in our lives. We will remember that. Psalm 77, 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles, even of long ago, but I will remember, and remembering is going to help me remember the faithfulness of God. Come on up, guys. We're just about done. So as we are praying by the heart, Again, whatever's going on in your heart today, for better or for worse, it is what it is. And so some of you today are saying, I can't actually relate to that how long at all right now. Life is pretty good. Uh, I'm pretty excited about things. And that's amazing. And, and we're not trying to bring you down. Enjoy the goodness of God in that sense. But if there is some of that in you, that how long, or, or the, the bitterness, or the doubt, or the, the longing, or the confusion, or the frustration, or whatever, God is that safe place where you can lay that stuff before him. So when we talk about praying by the heart, we're talking about praying with authentic, transparent honesty. Again, he knows what's in there already, 
And so there's no need to pretty it up. He knows everything. It's all laid bare before him already. So lay it before him in prayer. It's going to help you. Uh, it's for your sake that we can do that. So authentic, transparent honesty. We don't want to stop there because if we stop there, we might just be cynical whiners. And so it moves from being honest to sincere asking, what do we want to see the Lord do? What do we actually want to see him do? And as we do that, responding to him with honor and hope, giving him worship, giving him thanks, reminding ourselves of what he's done so that our hope can be stirred up. And we want to do that together before we go. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we get ready to close with worship. And we're going to give him the honor that he deserves and let our hope be stirred as we sing of the goodness of our God. God, I thank you that you are able Father, even though we are weak, even though our strength is nothing in comparison to you, God, you can accomplish anything. Father, I thank you that you work in each and every one of us. And Lord, I just ask that as we leave this place, that you would put a desire in our hearts, Lord, to know you more, God, to talk to you, to be real with you, Father. You want our authentic response, God. You already know. <laughs> Father, I pray that we would be sincere, Lord, and that even though you are able, God, that we would still praise you when you don't give us the answer that we are looking for. God, because we know you work for our good. So, Lord, we give you this morning. We ask that you go before us. We ask these things in your name. Amen. I encourage you guys, if you are needing prayer, we're going to have a team right available right in the front here. Um, and if you are not needing prayer, I just ask that you go visit outside in the lobby or at the cafe. Have a good morning, everyone.